listening Ouch to noises. You are listening live here on a special edition of Brandon's World. Here on this Sunday, June 5th, 2022, we have a lot to break down today, including Game 1 of the 2022 NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. Of course, Game 2 is tonight from the Chase Center in San Francisco. Along with tonight, we have the WWE Premium Live Event, Hell in a Cell. So let's not waste any time. As always, make sure to go on Twitter. Follow me personally at Brendan Lewis from the description. Follow the show at real underscore B world. You can also check out the Brands World podcast wherever you listen to your podcast and video clips on the Brandon's World YouTube channel. All those links will be in the description. But I do want to start off today by saying that I am recording this podcast today about 12 hours after the conclusion of game one between the Warriors and Celtics. And my first initial thought watching that game last night, specifically the fourth quarter, was just wow. Complete and utter shock. If you would have told me that Golden State would have went into the fourth quarter up 13, they put up a 38-piece in the third quarter, I pretty much would have called the game over. But Boston's physical and mental toughness is what won them this game. You know, we've seen the last five years that Golden State made that championship run where they won three out of five titles, 2015, 2017, 2018, with or without Kevin Durant. They could go on these spurts. You know, they most happened in the third quarter, but they've happened in other quarters as well, where you got Steph Curry, who, of course, made seven threes by the arc in the first quarter of game one. You have Clay Thompson. Now they add in Andrew Wiggins, Otto Porter, Jordan Poole, Andre Wadawa, who came back from an injury. And when all these guys make shots and when Golden State gets 38 points in the third quarter and they just blitz you, most teams would fold, especially with Boston, who their best player, Jason Tatum, did not have a great game last time. But Jason Tatum's running mate, Jalen Brown, along with Marcus Smart and Al Horford, who made some big key shots in the fourth quarter last night, and Robert Williams. These guys did not flinch. They did not panic. They believed in the game plan. They didn't get flustered. When Curry went off for 21 in the first quarter, they stayed with it. They had a two-point lead at the halftime. Boston is a very physically tough team. They're a mentally tough team. And that's when you need to go in there and beat the Golden State Warriors. Boston is not necessarily more talented than Golden State. You know, I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown could every night cancel out Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. But when you throw in Jordan Poole as Golden State's third scorer, Golden State almost always should have enough to beat Boston. Except last night, again, Al Horford and Marcus Smart and these guys for Boston, Peyton Pritchard, made key plays in the fourth quarter, made key shots, and they made Golden State feel the pressure. You know, if Golden State would have came out in the fourth quarter and extended that lead anymore, 15, 17 points, it's probably over. But Boston came out, they went on a 7-0 run, or excuse me, a 10-0 run. They cut the 13-point deficit to three. It was 103-101 Golden State. They still had control in the ball game, and then it just unraveled from there. Now, Golden State's defense unraveled, and the Celtics were able to put up 40 points in the fourth quarter, something that I wouldn't have thought was possible against that great Golden State team. 
saying that though, Golden State does have finals experience. I think it does matter. Uh, I, you know, after Boston eliminated Brooklyn from the first round, I said Boston was legit. I didn't know if they were going to beat Milwaukee even without Chris Middleton. I thought Giannis had Dekumpo in six or seven games, so I thought it was going to be a really close series. I thought the best player in the world would rise to the occasion and win that series. He did not. I picked Boston over Miami. I thought that Boston was just a great team. And listen, we saw Boston, in my opinion, play better throughout that series. But at the end of the day, if Jimmy Bauer hits that shot at the end of Game 7 because Boston wants their foot off the gas pedal, we might have had Golden State versus our Miami Finals instead of Golden State versus Boston. So a lot of these games are coming down to situations. A lot of these games are coming down to shooting, and it's coming down to defense. The NBA has changed, and I think that there is no more evidence than this past finals. I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, a couple years ago, even without Kevin Durant, when they still just went with Steph, Clay, and Draymond as their third best player. Obviously, they had Harrison Barnes and Andre Iguodala as well. Golden State would go on one blitz, and the game would be over. That's not the case now because of the three-point shot. Now, I don't expect Boston to hit as many threes as they did in Game 1. Golden State certainly capable. Though Steph Curry, I'm sure, is not going to duplicate his performance that he had in the first quarter of Game 1 all the way through the series. That's just not going to happen. They do need more production from Jordan Poole. They do need more production from Clay Thompson. And they need Draymond Green to at least make a couple shots because you can tell Boston was just pretty much leaving him essentially open. Draymond was one for six and one point from three. And that's just not going to cut it. But I still think that experience matters in the finals. Golden State has an experience. I do expect them to win the series. I picked Golden State in six games. I picked Steph Curry to win finals MVP before this series starts. Really, this series is sitting on a silver platter for Steph Curry. Yes, Curry does have three NBA championships, but none of those championships he won were finals MVP. One of them, Andre Iguodala, obviously, in 2015, and then back-to-back -back Kevin Durant in 2017 and 2018. Even if Curry was the leader of the Warriors, even through the KD years, it was Kevin Durant, or it was Andre Iguodala, or it was Draymond Green, or it was Clay Thompson. It was always somebody else making the big difference in the game, hitting the shot, the moment, the stop, whatever it may be. And in the two finals that they have lost, 2016 and 2019, obviously, against Toronto. Curry has came up shy. 2019, he obviously lost Clay Thompson in Game 6. And Thompson was having an incredible performance. I still argue if Clay Thompson stayed in that game, Golden State would probably beat Toronto in seven games just because of the way that they were playing. But at the end of the day, Golden State had a chance to take that in, in, in the seven. They were down by two. Curry shot a three-pointer and missed it. And this is what we've seen consistently out of Steph Curry is he is not able to hit that clutch shot when it matters the most. And just like Chris Paul, you know, Chris Paul does not have a ring and I've said it defines his legacy to me. You've got to get to at least one NBA Finals in my opinion. Well, to me, this defines Steph Curry's legacy because Curry has to win one Finals MVP if you ask me. I think this is a big series for him in order for Golden State to win this series, Curry has to play up to the level. Now, he doesn't have to hit seven threes and score 21 points in one quarter like he did in game one, but he has to bounce back and he has to be consistent. You know, again, if he gives you 
you know, about five or ten a quarter. It gives you between, you know, 25 and 30 points. You go along with Clay Thompson, you know, Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter and all those role players are going to make plays. You know, Kavon Looney is a great defender and you just have to lock in. Boston's a good defensive team, but really, I thought in game one, Golden State had a lot of open looks, even in the fourth quarter, when they got outscored 40-16, to 16, and they just weren't dropping. I think one of the things that Boston has confidence, though, now, is that Boston can now come back and say, okay, we can put up 40 points on these guys in a quarter. We're never out of a ball game. I think that will give confidence for Boston going forward. I think it's a good sign for Boston that Jason Tatum, number zero, the guy who should be rising into superstar statum, did not play that great, and their other guys were able to contribute. I think my biggest problem with Tatum right now is, as much as I love Jason Tatum, he's not consistent. Uh, he doesn't have, you know, consistent 30, 25, 35-point games. Some nights he'll give you 30, some nights he'll give you 50, other nights he'll give you 10 to 15. So it's that consistency that Boston needs to find. And again, if he is only giving you 10 or 15, they really need guys like Al Horford to step up. And they need guys like like both Williams. They have Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart to step up and make shots. Last night they did. I'm not sure Boston's going to be able to do that for other series. I think tonight, Golden State bounces back. I think it could be a route tonight. I think Golden State's going to come out. They're going to put the pressure on Boston. They know they need to win. That was their first loss ever in the postseason game at the Chase Center and in the NBA Finals. Their first loss this postseason at the Chase Center as well. I think Golden State needs to bounce back. I think we're going to go to Boston, tied 1-1. I think Golden State feels confident that they can take Game 3 or Game 4 in Boston, and they're going to need to. Because if Golden State is down 3-1, to one, I think Boston's got a great opportunity to close them out in Game 6 in the TD Garden. We know these are two great coaches. Ime Udoka has been waiting a long time for a head coaching opportunity. He's finally getting it with the Celtics. And then you've got Steve Kerr, who has obviously been in some of the biggest games in the NBA history over the last eight seasons since he's taken over for Golden State. We know the experience of the finals is there for Golden State. We'll see if Boston can rise to the challenge. Typically, again, this great offense for Golden State against great defense for Boston. The NBA is different in the NFL, where the NFL, usually the defense wins. In the NBA, it's usually better offense wins. We'll see, though. Boston, if they're good enough offensively, they can certainly give Golden State a series. If Boston wins this championship legitimately, I think it puts a knock on Steph Curry and Golden State's record, but it would be a huge credit to Boston for basically being under 500 at the start of January. And now here, as we head into the middle of June, they could be NBA champions. They're playing the best basketball they have in a long time, and I think it's going to be a fantastic series. I'll still take Golden State, though, in six games. Now, it is time to talk hell in a cell. As of this recording, which again is on Friday, June 3rd, 2022, we have six matches announced for this premium live event taking place tonight at the All-State Arena, sold out in Chicago. 
Chicago, and all of the matches are raw exclusive matches. I think that has to do more with the Usos owning the Unified Tag Team Championships. They are not on the show. Roman Reigns being the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. He is not on this show. The Tribal Chief will not take part in LSL for the second straight year. Sasha Banks and Naomi walked out of the company, leaving Ronda Rousey with nobody to face on the SmackDown side because SmackDown is lacking a woman's division. That leads pretty much only one championship, the Intercontinental Championship, which are building up a rivalry between Ricochet and Guther. But who knows if that's going to take place at LNSL. It could have already been announced at the time you guys are listening to this podcast. As well as Madcap, Mas- Madcap Moss, excuse me, is supposed to return to SmackDown tonight to set up a rivalry with Appy Corbin. That could finish at LNSL. And who knows? That could even be a random inside LNA cell. Because right now there's only one cell match. And we're going to break that down at the end of this show. But let's start it off with Bianca Belair, the Raw Women's Champion taking on Asuka and Becky Lynch in a triple threat match. Now, I do not expect uh, the EST to lose her Raw Women's Championship. I expect her to pin Asuka. I think Becky Lynch is there to kind of not take the fall to protect herself, but to give this match a little more stakes. We know that since Asuka returned a little bit about a month ago, she and Becky Lynch have been feuding. We know Asuka wants to get back in the Raw Women's Championship picture, but I do believe that she will take the fall here. I think this will lead to Becky Lynch complaining that she never took the fall, and we get the rematch between Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch. Who knows if that's going to happen at Money in the Bank now that it is in the confines of MGM Grand Arena. I think that that was going to be the plan if it was going to take place in Allegiant Stadium. Another Bianca-Becky rematch. It's like it happened at SummerSlam last year in that same building. Now, they could do in the same city. You never know. Or they just leave it for SummerSlam, which is in Bianca Belair's hometown of Nashville, Tennessee, the WrestleMania rematch between Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch, which was arguably the best match of the entire stupendous WrestleMania 38 weekend. So I think that that is the plan. I think it's going to be a really fun, competitive match. There's going to be a few close calls here and there that's going to get Bianca Belair a scare, but I think a KOD to Asuka will retain the Raw Women's Championship for the EST. Moving on, we have a United States Championship match between Austin Theory, or Theory for short, Vince McMahon's protege, taking on Mustafa Ali, who, of course, is from Chicago. And in my mind, this is one of the only reasons why this match is on this card. This kind of feels like a raw feud, not necessarily a premium live event feud. But Mustafa Ali, who requested his release from WWE six months ago, is back to give Theory a challenger. And again, he's going to be over in Chicago. People are going to cheer him. People hate Theory, so this is a chance to give give Theory some exposure. But I think Theory is moving on to bigger and better things, and I think he is going to retain at this premium live event. Now, whether he moves on to a guy like a legend, like John Cena, who is willing to come back for a potential match this summer, again, whether that's that money in the bank now is in question, or whether they, they hold it off to Nissan Stadium in late July at SummerSlam. But I think Theory is moving on to, to a big few. You know, could that be Bobby Lashley, who of course up next takes on almost an MVP in a handicap match? This, I will say, I don't like. I think it would be cool if they put both of these guys, Bobby Lashley and almost that is, inside hell 
Hell in a Cell because they already did a steel cage match. And I understand a cage match is like Hell in a Cell, but you can't really break the Hell in a Cell. You can't win inside Hell in a Cell if you break the cage. And almost inside Hell in a Cell would be very interesting. You want almost kind of do his thing, you know, whip Lashley around the cell, give Lashley a beating and really build up the Nigerian Giant. Because right now, this feud is kind of lopsided. It has made Amos, who is a seven foot three freak of nature, folks. It has made him look a little bit weak due to the fact that he's using MVP to essentially win his matches. This is going to turn into mostly a one-on-one -on -one match between Lashley and Amos, I believe, with MVP trying to provide a distraction. Again, I understand it is two to one Lashley. Obviously, Lashley won inside the steel cage. They could have done one more L in a cell if MVP does a beating or whatever the case may be. And I don't say this a lot about WWE, but I feel like this is really lazy booking, in my opinion, to have this go down in a handicap match. I don't like it one bit. I think Lashley is going to retain, overcome the odds, quote unquote, and then again, move on to something else. Whether that's another feud with somebody like The Miz or a mid-card act on Raw, and I totally forgot to mention, I think Cedric Alexander gets involved in this as well. Lashley will just destroy all three at the end of a match. But again, whether Lashley moves out of the Miz or Theory or something else, I think this is the end of this feud. Speaking of a really good feud, Kevin Owens, Elias. Not Ezekiel, Elias, okay? This guy going on as Ezekiel is a liar. That is Elias, that's what Kevin Owens is telling us, and that's what I believe from Kevin Owens. And this is going to be a really fun match. I'm surprised they put this match on a premium live event, though again, it has been building for weeks, but it just feels more of a raw match than a premium live event match, but this is going to be really fun. Kevin Owens' ring work is great. His character work is great. You know, we'll see Ezekiel, quote-unquote, though it is Elias. You know, he hasn't really had a lot of in-ring work. You know, his moveset that he has came out with has been different. We'll see if they do something with Elias or tease something or, or the Alpha Academy get involved or some shenanigans. This is just going to be a really fun match. I think we'll be put in the middle of a show. I think it is the definition of sports entertainment. I do think that KO takes the loss here. It goes a little bit more crazy. And Ezekiel, quote unquote, picks up the victory. Moving on to what I believe is the semi-main event of this show. That is AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and Liv Morgan in a six-person tag team match against Rhea Ripley, Damian Priest, and the master of omnipotence, the rated R superstar, the Judgment Day leader, Edge. Now, we know Edge and AJ Styles have taken the last two premium live events going one-on-one -on -one with Edge winning both times due to some interference, whether it was at WrestleMania by Damian Priest or whether it was at WrestleMania Backlash by Rhea Ripley. The question here is, we believe the Judgment Day is going to pick up this victory, but will one of Wim Morgan, AJ Styles, or Finn Bauer move to the dark side and join the Judgment Day? Will Edge convince one of these three baby faces that all of them that the crowd loves you talk about Liv morgan getting a push in early january to take on becky lynch at day one for the raw Women's championship aj styles one of the most popular WWE superstars has been booked really well since he came into the company in 2016 and speaking of somebody really well liked 
That is Finn Bauer, the first ever Universal Champion, former two-time NXT Champion, former U.S. Champion, former Intercontinental Champion, yet he has never found his fix on the main roster. He's always in some random feud. He always seems to never get that over with the crowd. I think the most over he was was early last summer when he came back, obviously outside of his Universal Championship reign, which sadly only lasted a day. But when he came back and did his feud with Roman Reigns, that was some of his best work. He has lost some of that momentum, and it might be time for a character change like it was when Rhea Ripley. Last summer, Rhea Ripley was the Raw Woman Champion defending her championship against Charlotte Flair. This summer, she is in the Judgment Day, and the same case could be made for Finn Bauer, who at this time last year was not on the main roster. He was still in NXT as WWE was getting ready to get back on the road. Now, Finn, a darker Finn with Edge, Damian Priest and Rio Ripley would be a skittery duo. It would allow Edge to take some less time off. It would also give the men an opportunity to fight for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships with Damian Priest and Finn Bauer against the Usos, which I think would be really fun. I don't think they need to recruit more members than four. I think four is a really good number. I do think that Rio Ripley, Damian Priest, and Finn Bauer, these are all three great people with potential. And that's the key. That's why I don't think AJ Styles is going to turn because I think Edge is looking to mentor young folks. And I think that AJ Styles and Edge, they may move on here. You know, I'm surprised that they just didn't do Edge and AJ Styles one-on-one inside LNSL. I thought that would be a possibility. But this kind of feels like the, the end of the Edge and Styles feud. I mean, they've been feuding now for, for almost three months. You know, if you want to spread it out a little bit more, okay. But they've had three matches is my point. Usually after three, unless it's a really intense rivalry, like John Cena versus Edge or John Cena versus Randy Orton or Randy Orton Triple H or Randy Orton Batista or Batista Triple H, you name any one of those combos, they could go a little longer. I'm not sure if Edge and Styles can. So I think Edge kind of wraps this up. Finn Bauer moves the dark side. And I think that then we get a Finn Bauer versus AJ Styles feud. Well, AJ is still feuding with the Judgment Day. It's not necessarily with Edge or Damian Priest, who he's been wrestling a lot with. It is Finn Bauer. And now the main event of the show. The man who last year was in all elite wrestling and now potentially could be getting MJF to go there, but that's another work shoot, whatever you want to call it. We got the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes against Seth freaking Rollins inside that unanimous red structure, hell in a cell. And the question here is, Cody Rhodes defeated Seth Rollins at WrestleMania 38. Cody Rhodes defeated Seth Rollins at WrestleMania Backlash. Does Seth Rollins get his revenge inside the cell? These two did a great job mimicking AEW's anarchy in the arena this past Monday on Raw with that brawl. You can really feel the tension that Seth Rollins is jealous of Cody Rhodes, that he's back in WWE, the fans are cheering him, that he is not getting the spotlight. That's why Rollins wants to eradicate Cody Rhodes because Rollins believes he is better than the Nightmare family, even though Cody has topped him twice. Seth has tried everything to get under Cody's skin, and Cody now wants to finish it inside this cell. 
if Cody Rhodes becomes victorious, which I think is a real possibility, I don't think that there will be any interference. I think Cody Rhodes will go over clean as he continues his slow build to get to the top. I think him or Theory should be the favorite to win the Money in the Bank briefcase next month in the MGM Grand Arena. Now, if Rollins does win, I think there's going to be a return. I don't know by who. I don't know who would attack Cody Rhodes. I've seen rumors of The Fiend potentially coming back, which would be amazing, though I doubt it. But there is no way that Cody Rhodes loses his first match back in WWE to Seth Rollins' queen after beating Seth Rollins two times over the last two months. I just don't see it. It wouldn't make any sense to me. I think there's going to be an hour match with a lot of great spots. I think these guys are going to put their bodies on the line for our entertainment. I think this is going to be the match of the night with only one hour and a so match at, you know, scheduled at the time of this recording. I think these guys can go all out. They can break the cell. They can use weapons. They can really hurt themselves because they don't have to save the cell for a second match. I think this is going to be a barn bar, a hell of a main event, and a very entertaining Sunday while I'm watching this show on one TV in the NBA Finals on the second TV. So there you have it. That'll do it for this show. We only have about two more weeks for the NBA Finals. And, of course, then we, then we will dive into Money in the Bank as well as some Guardians talk. And I've been working on some special guests, so we will get that to you when I know. But again, thank you guys so much for listening to the Brands World Podcast. I appreciate you guys giving me an opportunity to share with you my takes in the sports world every single week, every single Sunday. I know it's going to be a little bit slow. The NBA season is ending, but right after that, we have the draft and then free agency. So there's going to be some news that I really don't expect free agency to be that big this summer. And then we will move on of course, to baseball and then football season right around the corner. Come September, we'll be back as we did last year with our traditional, you know, week-to-week breakdowns of the games as well as our picks and best bets. I cannot wait for football season. We got to wait a little bit longer. There's not a lot, again, going on in baseball right now. I know the NBA Finals are about to end. We are in the slow realm here of sports. It's why I said a couple of weeks ago, I think if the NBA went from December to July, right up to NFL training camp, I think it would be a lot better to take us again right into training camp, right into football season. We'd really only have August, which you would have the draft and preseason and all of that stuff. You know, NBA, NFL merged in there to keep us busy with baseball, which does a terrible job with marketing. But nonetheless, thank you guys so much for watching. We will see you again next week. As always, again, check us out wherever you listen to your podcast. Check us out on the YouTube channel. And I hope you guys have a great week. Peace.